Welcome back. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two Ankh Ducks. This week's episode, we're going to be focusing on heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, also known as HIT. We're going to go over the important details of the pathophysiology, diagnosis, and treatment of HIT. Yes, this is very timely for me because I was just discussing this with my medical students today on the inpatient service. And so before we dive into HIT, what are some of the etiologies of thrombocytopenia? So the most important thing when you guys are seeing low platelets is actually to rule out pseudothrombocytopenia first. So make sure you're looking at those blood smears to ensure this is real thrombocytopenia, not just clumping of the platelets. Then you need to think of the mechanism of why could platelets be low. Is it a production problem, aka decreased bone marrow production of platelets? Is there hemodilution? Is there sequestration? Or is there increased consumption or destruction and clearance of the platelets? The most common causes of thrombocytopenia in hospitalized patients are infection, medications, and DIC. Definitely. And in order to rule out pseudothrombocytopenia, you use sodium citrate as the reagent instead of EDTA, and they can test you on that. And so what is the incidence of HIT in patients who receive heparin and low molecular weight heparin or Lovenox? It's actually pretty rare. Less than 5% of patients getting unfractionated heparin can get HIT, and about 1% of those getting low molecular weight heparin. HIT is defined as a 50% drop in platelets from 3 to 30 days of heparin administration, or it could be sooner if there was recent exposure to heparin within the past month. So look all the way back to the past month. The average platelet nadir in HIT is 50 to 60,000, not lower than that. Along with thrombocytopenia, there's also a very high risk of venous and arterial thrombosis. Most are subclinical and can be seen only on venous Doppler, so we got to be checking for them. Yes, depending on where you practice, some people opt to get Dopplers of all four extremities or the lower extremities at least because of the high risk of thrombosis. And like Sam said, the platelets actually don't go extremely low, usually around 60,000, but usually not under 20,000. And so what is the pathophysiology of HIT? So heparin works to inhibit the clotting reaction caused by thrombin factor 10A and fibrin by inactivating these proteins. Platelet factor 4 is a chemokine that binds to heparin and other negatively charged glucosaminoglycans with high affinity. Normally, PF4 is released into the circulation and it'll bind to the negatively charged glucosaminoglycans on the surface of endothelial cells. These proteins interact with endothelial cells, displacing antithrombin. But in the presence of heparin, PF4 appears to bind preferentially to heparin, resulting in very large heparin-PF4 complexes. Rarely, in the case of HIT, patients can develop an antibody to the heparin-PF4 complex called the HIT antibody. This binds to platelets, triggering platelet activation, thus the procoagulant state. This is an immune-mediated disorder, and it's known as HIT type 2. It's important to realize that not all PF4 heparin antibodies will activate platelets, so there's variations and degrees if people develop these antibodies. Of note, there's also something called HIT type 1. It's typically characterized by a lesser fall in platelets that occurs within the first two days of heparin use, and the platelet levels return to normal with continued heparin administration. We're not going to really talk about that. I don't think it's really testable. We're going to focus on the immune-mediated HIT. Yes, so we have a type 1 non-immune, type 2 immune. Really, the most important thing to remember here is that you have antibodies to platelet factor 4, 
And this is the mechanism by which HIT occurs. And so what is the clinical picture of HIT? So we need to have a very high clinical suspicion for HIT. And the clinical criteria for the diagnosis includes one of the following, thrombocytopenia, thrombosis, necrotizing skin lesions at the injection site, acute anaphylactic reactions, plus the appropriate timing of the heparin exposure and absence of other causes. We've actually synthesized this into something called the four T's of HIT. The first one is that thrombocytopenia. You should see greater than 50% decrease in a nadir of greater than 20,000. That gets you two points. That's the most points. Whereas less than 30% decrease in a platelet nadir and less than 10,000, it gives you zero points. The second T is timing. Clear onset between five to 10 days or less than one day if prior exposure to heparin within the last 30 days gets you two points versus the onset being less than four days with no recent exposure gets you zero points. The third T is thrombosis or other sequelae. So looking for new thrombosis, skin necrosis, or the acute systemic reactions to IV heparin, that gets you two additional points. The fourth T is looking for other causes of the thrombocytopenia. If there is none apparent, you get two points. You tally these up and a score of zero to three means that HIT is unlikely versus a score greater than four. You need to perform additional testing to confirm a high suspicion of HIT. And that will be looking at the antibodies as well as the serotonin release assay or the SRA test, which I'll talk about next. Yes, definitely important to know that 4T score. You can look it up on MD Calc. And so if you have a consult for thrombocytopenia, first look through the chart, see if there's any exposure of heparin products, and then you can calculate the degree of thrombocytopenia, the timing of the platelet drop. Is it within seven to 10 days? Or if they've been previously exposed within 30 days, any thrombotic events and any alternative causes. And so what tests are needed to confirm HIT? The test needed to confirm HIT include positive platelet activation assay, positive ELISA, and so this is looking at the anti-PF4 heparin IgG. There's an interesting thing because the strength of the positivity of this assay provides some predictive information, and it's recorded as something called optical density, or OD. So if the OD is low, less than 0.4, the chance of an SRA being positive to confirm HIT is less than 1%. Whereas if the OD is high, greater than two, the probability of the SRI coming back positive is 90 to 100%. So there is some predictive values in the ELISA testing for the antibody. But the positive serotonin release assay using the patient's own serum is really what we go off of. Activation assays are more specific than antigen assays for clinical HIT. So the gold standard for diagnosing HIT is looking at the serotonin release assay or the SRA because it's a very high sensitivity and specificity. Absolutely. And the way that the serotonin release assay works is that it releases radio-labeled serotonin from donor platelets after exposure to heparin and patient serum if heparin-induced antibodies are present. So I feel like on consults, we would often have to interpret that HIT antibody in terms of the OD. They would list the OD. You would have to interpret it and decide whether you want to send off the serotonin release assay or not. And so lastly, what is the treatment of HIT? 
So the most important treatment of HIT is stop the offending agent. So stop the heparin, stop the low molecular weight heparin. One thing to also realize walking into test day is that warfarin is contraindicated because if warfarin is administered at the onset of HIT, protein C and S depletion can severely worsen coagulation and increase the risk of thromboembolic complications, particularly the skin necrosis. You need to anticoagulate these patients with a direct thrombin inhibitor, such as argatroban, which can be used in renal insufficiency, leporudin, which can be used in hepatic insufficiency, and rivaroxaban. You also need to determine if there's acute thrombus to decide the duration of anticoagulation. The HIT antibody itself disappears after about three months, so patients are at the highest risk of thrombosis in that three-month interval, and so they need anticoagulation then. And if there is no VTE, they can stop, but you may need longer anticoagulation if a deep vein thrombosis has already been diagnosed. Yes, so there are IV options, which are bivalirudin as well as ergatroban, and then you have the direct oral anticoagulants, and the strongest evidence, as you mentioned, is for rivaroxaban or Zerbalto, but there's also some observational studies suggesting that you can use dabigatran, the direct thrombin inhibitor, as well as the other factor 10A inhibitors, apixaban and adoxaban. So that was a wonderful overview, Sam. So what are our key takeaways? So our key takeaways are realizing that HIT is caused by the development of an antibody to the heparin PF4 complex. HIT is defined as a 50% drop in platelets in the days 3 to 30 from the heparin administration or sooner if they've had recent heparin exposure in the past month. You need to know those four T's, which is thrombocytopenia, timing, thrombosis, and looking for other causes of the thrombocytopenia. The confirmatory labs is, we need to know the SRA is the gold standard, but the ELISA looking at the antibody does give us some prognostic indications. And the treatment for HIT is to stop the heparin or low molecular heparin. Warfarin is contraindicated and you need to anticoagulate with a direct thrombin inhibitor. Absolutely. So as always, thank you for listening and stay tuned next week for updates on our breast cancer episodes. Mm -hmm.